0: I want to say a few things. As I've been praying about kind of the direction for the first part of this year, uh, trying to um, just make sure that we are constantly led by the Lord, one of the things that I do feel the Lord has showed me that is important for our ministry, our church, and I believe not only us, but this country as a whole, however, I don't have the opportunity to speak to this country as a whole, but I do have the opportunity to speak to you, and I believe one of the things that's very important is that men of God become men of God, and what I believe the Lord is leading me to do is over the next six months spend a lot of time working on the men. And I encourage you ladies not to be discouraged. I can guarantee you that every single sermon will have application to you directly. And furthermore, if men who are meant to be leaders will rise up and be men, it will be greatly beneficial to you women. With that said, I'm still not 100% certain exactly how I'm going to do this. I don't. I imagine that if I got up every single Sunday and just preached on men, that it probably wouldn't go over so well. So, what I think I'm going to do, as I'm still trying to seek some direction from the Lord, is I'm going to take us through a study of the men of the Bible. Just a study of their lives. And we're going to see how much we are like them. And I have chosen to start with Joseph. Because Joseph... He wins. He's the best of all the characters that we could ever actually follow. It's Joseph. So we're going to start off on a really positive note as we see Joseph. But then we're going to take a look at several of the other men who were not quite as victorious as Joseph was from a young age. We're going to look at men that took them years to get it through their thick skulls, that they need to trust God and obey God, and that not doing so is never in the best interest of anyone. Also, with that said, when I do a study like this, I typically take us through the entire life of a character. And I am planning on doing that with Joseph. I don't know if I'll do that with the others. But rather than reading a full chapter and then commenting on it, some of these sermons uh, will be through a course of two or three chapters in a morning. And so what I'm going to encourage you to do is read the life of Joseph. It starts in Genesis 37. And I will work through Genesis 37 this morning, the entire chapter. And I encourage you to read it so you'll have some reference over the next several weeks as we look at the life of Joseph together. And rather than reading the entire chapter and commenting on it, I'm just going to open in prayer here in a moment and we'll get started this morning. But before we do, I just want to say men. I encourage you to listen intently over the next several months. It does start with us. Uh, There are two studies that were done. One was in Georgia and one was in England somewhere. Both of them had very similar statistics. And I want you to listen to something. I know that the one in England interviewed over 3,000 families. So this is a very large study. It was not a pocket of, you know, 15 or 20 people to skew numbers. 3,000 families. Here's what they found. If somebody in a family gets saved, if a child, let's put it that way, if one of the siblings in a family gets saved, there is a 17% chance that that sibling will lead someone else in their immediate family to Christ. 17% chance that they will lead at least one other person to Christ in their immediate family. If the mother gets saved, there is a 30% chance she will lead somebody to Christ in her family. If the father gets saved, there is over a 90% chance he will lead one person to Christ in his immediate family. But listen to this. There is over a 60% chance that the Father will lead every single person in his immediate family to Christ. It shows us the power of manhood and fatherhood and leadership. Something that is lacking in our culture. We have become the fatherless culture. And everything that we're seeing is a direct result of that tragedy. And so, this is really a very relevant and important study. It's important that we look into this matter in more than a simple 30-minute sermon. And so, I plan to hit this over the next several months as the Lord leads. But I share that statistic because I want you men to understand how important it is that you are men of God and that you're leaders. And we're going to study the men of God of the Old Testament. And you're going to find some, they're just like us. They really are. The Bible says a righteous man falls seven times and gets back up. There's two really important things about that verse. The righteous man does fall. Man, don't stay down because you fell down and your pride was hurt and you feel like a failure. Righteous men do fail. They fall. But the verse doesn't end there. It says they get back up. Now, we're going to look at that together. We're going to study the life of Joseph. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 37 this morning. Would you please pray with me as we get into our sermon? Lord, we are grateful to be able to come and worship You this morning. God, we are so blessed that there's no words to describe how truly blessed we are, that while we were still enemies, hateful towards You, God-hating, self-loving enemies of God, You sent Your Son to die on our behalf. You loved us anyways. And God, for that, we are what we are by the grace of God and nothing else. And You alone deserve the honor and glory and praise for it. Lord, we pray for our culture this morning. A culture that is a fatherless culture in many ways. Where there is no discipline in the home, there is no leadership from the husband. God, our culture has become chaos because of it. We pray, Father, for us, Lord. God, help us to see the error of our ways. God, help us to see what we can do better as men of God. And Lord, we pray for this study this very morning. God, that you would speak to our hearts. God, that you would teach us. Lord, that you would have your way. I ask that You to anoint me now, Father, with the unction of heaven, to preach Your Word in the power and in the demonstration of the Holy Ghost, not in man's wisdom, but, Father, in the power of God and You alone. Lord, I pray that You would save anybody here this morning that's lost. God, that You would break those foolish walls of pride that keep people from You. God, this morning they would come, fall before You, before the cross, Find salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Have your way, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter 37, the story of Joseph's life begins. In verse 1, Jacob's life begins to take a uh, back seat in the story and account of Genesis. And we begin to see the life of Joseph. In verse 2, it says, This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father." The very first thing that we see about the life of Joseph, it tells us he was 17 years old. Joseph was the 11th of 12 boys. Joseph only had one brother that was a full-blooded brother, and that was his younger brother, Benjamin. Joseph's mother died while giving birth to Benjamin. Joseph's stepmothers, however... We're living. The Bible tells us that Jacob favored Joseph and that his brothers hated him. In verse 2, it says that Joseph, being 17, brought a bad report of his brothers to his father. Now, it's really important to understand something. Joseph was not tattling. The Bible shows us the righteousness of Joseph from the beginning to the end. Joseph was bringing an honest report to his father about the truth of the way his brothers were behaving, which was evil and wicked. And we will see this today as we look at the wickedness of his brothers. But I want to say right out of the gate, teenagers and young people, look up here. Quit your doodling, quit your playing around. Teenagers and young people, every one of you, look up here. When Joseph was 17, he was a teenager of integrity. You need to listen to the preacher this morning. It is time that our teens become teens of integrity. You don't have to wait till you're 35 years old to grow up contrary to what our culture is trying to teach us. We need some young people who will trust God like Joseph did Who will say, it doesn't matter if the rest of my family, it doesn't matter if the rest of my family refuses to serve God. It doesn't matter if I'm going to be hated because of it. It doesn't matter if the rest of the people in this school are God hating. I will stand for what is right and I will stand alone if I have to because God alone is God. And you can do it. You can do it. I will submit to you, I believe there's probably people that you're friends with, there's people in your schools, or people in your life that are just waiting for somebody to do it. It's so easy to go along with the crowd. The Bible tells us that Joseph was a teenager of integrity. The age of 17, willing to speak the truth, even if people hated him for it. And while the overall thought this morning and in the weeks to come is for men to be men, I want you young people to understand, you have a role in this. Quit seeing yourself, especially those of you that are 15 and older here this morning, quit seeing yourself as children. You are maturing into young adults. You have a responsibility to stand for what is right. You have a responsibility to build your own personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You have a responsibility to know Him and to be a teenager of integrity. And you can do it. This was Joseph. This is is how the Bible starts out telling us his story. That As a 17-year-old, he was a teenager of integrity. And while the substance of his report is not given, we don't know what it is that his brothers had did wrong. We know this. The telling the truth about the misbehavior of others is never popular. But it shows that Joseph was a faithful servant. And naturally, his brothers hated him for it. In verse 3, it says Israel, which is another name for Jacob. Matter of fact, it was a name that Jacob was given after he wrestled all night with God. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also he made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. You think Jacob would have learned about favoritism and how destructive it is to the family. And you parents, listen carefully this morning. You better not favor your children you got to love them all equally the way that God loves all of us. Jacob was the child of, of a divided home. Jacob's mother loved him more, and Jacob's father loved his brother Esau more. And if you remember the story of Jacob, Jacob's mother came up with this twisted plot where Jacob would pretend he was Esau and would cover himself with the hair of a goat because his brother Esau was hairy, and that he would go into his blind father Jacob and deceive his father Isaac into thinking that Jacob was Esau, and then steal the brother the blessing of Esau. You think Jacob would have remembered how treacherous this was to his family? Esau became hateful and decided he was going to murder Jacob, and Jacob at the, at the counsel of his mother, fled to another country thinking that he would come back after Esau was not so angry. After the, the rage of Esau had, had finally gone away, Jacob was just going to go off for a little while and come back home and things would be fine. Little did Jacob know he'd be gone for 20 years and his mother would die and he'd never see her again. You'd think you would have learned a lesson about favoritism. The Bible says he didn't. It says that he favored Joseph. And it caused hatred amongst the brothers. Let me say this morning, we all know favoritism is wrong. But this wasn't Joseph's fault. Joseph had did nothing wrong and his brothers hated him. In the next couple of verses, it tells us that God came to Joseph and gave Joseph a dream and In the dream, Joseph and his brothers were out, and they were um working in the fields and Joseph's sheave that he was working on stood up, and all of his brothers' sheaves gathered around and bowed down to the sheave it was a it was a Uh, a picture of his brothers bowing to him. And Joseph shared the dream, and his brothers hated him all the more. Joseph had another dream of the stars and the sun and the moon bowing down to him, a picture of his family bowing down to him again. And he shared the dream, and his brothers hated him for it. You need to understand something this morning. If you're going to do the will of God, if you're going to do the work of God, not everybody's going to be happy for you that God has His hand on your life. There will be those who are extremely jealous. Jealousy is a deadly poison. Jealousy is the spirit that says, How come He gets to sing up on stage? That's what jealousy is. Jealousy is the spirit that says, I can do it better than that preacher does. I'll bet you could. I don't doubt that one bit. Jealousy is the spirit that says, I should get what they get. I know more. I do better. I I can sing better. I can do this better. Jealousy is the spirit that wants what others have. And it's a deadly, deadly poison. Joseph's brothers were jealous of him. But let me say this morning, it wasn't Joseph's fault. All that Joseph was doing was speaking honestly about what God had showed him. All that Joseph was doing was following God. And consequently, his family would plot to kill him and destroy him. If you're going to be a person of ministry, and when I say ministry, listen, ministry's everywhere. I'm not just talking preaching or something that you see me do. I mean, is everywhere. If you're going to be a person of ministry, you need to know this. People will come against you. They'll try to stop you. They'll try to squander your message. They'll try to uh, denigrate your character. They will do whatever they can to make sure that you don't get what they don't get. But there is one constant theme, and you are going to see this through everybody that we study, you're going to see this especially in the life of Joseph. Though the righteous may suffer in an evil and unjust world, ultimately God's purpose for the righteous will triumph. Every wicked plot that these brothers had, every single thing that seemed as if life was spiraling out of control for Joseph was actually moving him further and further Further to God's ultimate will for His life. And I want to encourage those of you who are serving the Lord Jesus Christ with all of your heart, don't be discouraged when things don't go the way you think they should. Don't be discouraged when people question your ministry, try to tell you how to do your ministry better, how you should do this or that and change what you do, and you'd be better off. Don't be discouraged by that. Know that God knows where you're at and He will use everything for your good, to advance His purpose in your life. They hated Joseph because he had found favor. They could not speak a kind word to him. Verse 4 says, they could not speak peaceably to him. I want you to picture the, the relationship he had with his brothers. Everything they said was negative. Everything. They couldn't speak a kind word to him whatsoever. Parents, I caution you against letting your children speak hatefully towards one another. We can laugh it off. Boys will be boys. And sinners will be sinners. And murderers will be murderers. And hateful people will be hateful people. You be careful using that as an excuse not to punish sin in your household. We don't let our children talk hateful towards one another. It's wrong. God doesn't talk hateful towards anyone. His brothers couldn't speak a kind word to him whatsoever. Think about Joseph's life. It sure would have been easier for him to just become like them. Do whatever it took so that his brothers would get along with him. But he refused to compromise his integrity. And at the age of 17, God gives Joseph a dream and his brothers hated him all the more for it. In verse 11, it tells us that his brothers envied him. Hatred and envy are sisters. They go hand in hand. They go everywhere together. But his father kept the matter in his mind. Jacob thought about this. Jacob remembered that God has used the younger other than the older. Jacob was one who had benefited of that as he got the blessing of the older. He he remembered his father Isaac, who was really the second son of Abraham, Eventually Joseph's brothers decide they're going to kill Joseph. Jacob sends Joseph to go find out where the brothers were. Apparently they should have been home or they were not where they were supposed to be. But Jacob wanted to know the truth about where these boys were. Jacob knew that Joseph would tell him the truth. Jacob knew that Joseph would do what he was asked to do. And so Jacob sent Joseph, his son, to go find his brothers. And on his way to find his brothers, we see this. Verse 18, Now when they, that's his brothers, saw him afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. They were looking for this chance. You're going to see a constant theme that runs through everything that we look at as we look at the men of God of the Bible. Here we see brothers conspiring together to kill their own brother. Their little brother. They're away from the home They're far enough away that the act could take place and they could try to cover it up, and they do for a long time. They see their brother coming from afar, and they know their chance is there. And immediately one of them says, let's kill him. And they conspired to kill Joseph. Now, I want to ask you the question, where did this happen? In the home of a patriarch. This is Jacob's boys we're talking about. You know, the Bible talks about Jacob like this. It calls him the God of Jacob. When when the Sadducees came and questioned Jesus about the resurrection, and Jesus said, You do err not knowing the Scriptures nor the power of God, for God is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. And the Bible declares He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We talk about Jacob as a great patriarch of the faith, and indeed he was. But don't miss it this morning. Yet in his home, in the home of a patriarch of our faith, the father of the faith, we see the brothers conspiring to murder the youngest. Let us take heart and let us be Challenge this morning not to think ourselves above reproach in our homes. It doesn't take a long for the heart to turn, to become prideful, to think that we can do it our way and not God's way, and even in the home of Christian fathers, even in the home of pastors and leaders of of, of the Christian people, even in the home of the patriarch. Things like this can and do happen. Let us learn from it. Can I say this morning, sir, let us be encouraged by it as we look together at the fact that God is faithful even when we are faithless. That God is able to raise us up out of the ashes of our failure and to set us somehow above it and to cause us to come out stronger on the other side and to still use us for His namesake and for His glory. Don't stay down. The righteous man might fall seven times, but he gets back up. Don't stay down in that place of defeat because you have failed your family. You have failed your children. You have failed in your life. All of us have failed, every single one of us, and it is time to get up and be who God wants you to be. So Joseph's brothers, they conspire to kill him. And as he gets there, they said to one another, look, this dreamer is coming. Notice their choice now is to call him a dreamer. I'm telling you, they hated God's call on His life. There are people who will act like they like God's call on your life, but actually hate it. Who will work to destroy it. Who will work to find a way to silence you and stop what God is doing in your life. But thank God. Whom shall I fear? None. None for God is on my side. Thank God that if God is for us, who can be against us? There is none. There is none stronger than God. The God that we serve is able to do above and abundantly beyond all that we could ever ask or imagine. Trust Him, sir, and be faithful to Him and stand in your integrity in all situations. They said, the dreamer's coming. Now let us kill him and cast him into some pit. And we shall say that some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. You see, ultimately they wanted to kill his dream. I'm telling you, there are people that want to kill your dream. But Reuben heard it. Now Reuben was the oldest of the sons. Reuben was the firstborn to Jacob. Born to Leah. And it says that he delivered him out of their hands and said, let us not kill him. Reuben said to them, shed no blood, but cast him into this pit which is in the wilderness. And do not lay a hand on him that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. So Reuben had a plan to convince his brothers that we'll just leave him in the pit and whatever happens to him, happens to him. Reuben even though he was the oldest of the brothers, and even though he had the strength to speak up about not killing him, he was still a coward. He didn't want his brothers to know that ultimately he was going to go back and pull Joseph up out of the pit and take him to his father. So he says, let's not do this. Let's not kill him. And In verse 23, So it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him. They took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. I want you to get the picture in your head. I want you to. I, 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 I want you to see how humiliated Joseph was. He's wearing the clothing that his father gave him. He's being obedient to his father. He's being faithful to God in all of his ways. And he shows up where he's supposed to be in obedience to his father. And his brothers take him. And we just read it. They stripped him of his tunic. Stripped him of it. The Bible later tells us in the next few verses they actually tore it up and shredded it and covered it in goat's blood to convince their father he was dead. I believe they shredded it in front of him. I want you to imagine, as painful as it may be, the situation with Joseph. All of his brothers are attacking him, laughing and mocking. No doubt being rough, throwing him around. They stripped him of his clothes. And then together they threw him in a cistern he could not get out of. We're just getting started with the life of Joseph. Just getting started. But it's here, man of God, woman of God, it's here that already the weak of heart will begin to question, did God say? God, I thought You said that that the sheaves would bow down to me. Not only are they not bowing down to me, they're kicking me around, tearing apart my clothes and throwing me in this cistern to leave me here to starve to death. Listen carefully this morning, Christian. There will always be, because it is God's divine way, there will always be times in your life when you have nothing but the Word of God. Nothing. Nothing. And God tells us ahead of time so that in that moment when everything else doesn't make sense and everything else isn't going the way we believed it would and it's not working out like we planned it out in our minds, we can remember God has said. We saw this with Joshua. What's the first thing that God told Joshua? Be strong and be courageous. Be now not dismayed. For I am with you. And in essence, I will deliver you. He said, I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. What a powerful moment where God speaks to Joshua. All of us would have loved to have had that personal word from God. But trust me this morning... There was a time when Joshua was out on the battlefield and soldiers were dying all around him and all that he had at that moment, in the moment of fear, and in the moment of standing there trying to courageously be obedient to what God had told him to do. He had nothing but the Word that God had spoken years before. Don't be afraid. I will be with you. There will always be times when you have nothing but the Word of God. I want to tell you that it's in those times we find out how much we actually believe God or not. That's when we find out. It's very easy to believe in God, and we should believe in God when all things are good. It's very easy to believe that God is with me and that I am walking in the blessings of God and that He is faithful to me when everything is as it should be. What about when you're naked? and you've been stripped by your brothers, and you've been thrown into a cistern to die. There can you believe God has said. We must learn to believe God has said in all situations, in all circumstances, that God is always faithful. So his brothers, they do this wicked thing. Joseph is humiliated by them, which they've wanted to do for so long. A handful of them are still wishing they could just kill him so that they could see with their own eyes the dream come to an end. But the older brother says, no, we're not going to kill him. Let's just leave him in this cistern. And I want you to look at the next verse. It's one of the most ruthless verses in all of the Bible. Verse 25, and they sat down to eat a meal. I'm telling you, envy and jealousy is so incredibly wicked. I want to ask you something this morning. These men had did absolutely nothing. Joseph had did absolutely nothing to these men, nothing. But there is never a time for jealousy and envy and hatred. They sat down and had a meal. And I want you to. I just want you to picture the meal. Here they are, they've all sat down, they're having a picnic in a circle, and off in the background is their crying brother, yelling for help, trying to be out of the pit. And there they sit with his torn up tunic, eating and enjoying the moment. What a wicked group of boys. Can I just say, obviously? Hey, no wonder God didn't choose you to do the job. Look at you. Look at the wickedness of your heart. No wonder Joseph was the man for the job. You have no compassion whatsoever. You'll humiliate your own brother to make yourself feel good and you think that you're the one that should be leading this thing? Their wickedness is the proof of why God had given the dream to Joseph and not to one of them. Jealousy is a wicked thing. And Joseph had did nothing to his brothers. But I want to ask you this morning, is there anybody in your life that you would like to see suffer? Right now, may God give us sensitive hearts to be honest. Is there anybody in your life that you would like to see suffer? If so, you have jealousy, hatred, envy, malice, and it will destroy you. It won't destroy them, it will destroy you. You have got to forgive, you have got to let go and love. And in the process, you free yourself. That's what you do. Your jealousy or hatred or envy, your desire for someone else to suffer, it hurts you. It doesn't hurt them. This morning, I encourage you. I plea with you. I beg you. If there's somebody in your life you would like to see suffer, repent this morning. Ask for God's forgiveness and be willing to forgive that person. Because jealousy is such an evil thing. Hatred is such an evil thing. We will justify why we are so angry, why we want someone to suffer, why we want somebody to hurt. We will justify this. But we can't. We must be honest with our own self. We must be honest with our hearts. We must be willing to let go and let God. So they set down to eat a meal. And then as they're eating, a company of Ishmaelites comes by and Judah, also one of the older brothers, thought to himself, let's sell him into slavery. What profit does it do us if we leave him here? We don't get any money out of it. He starves to death. Let's do the righteous thing. Let's sell him as a slave. Then we'll split the money equally. And this is exactly what they did. They sold their brother to a group of traveling Egyptians, and he became a slave. And they thought to themselves, let's go home and let's tell Dad that we stumbled across the tunic and that it was destroyed. The plot is so wicked. I'm sure they tore it up good, but this thought occurs to me. We know that it was a multicolored tunic. We know that it was a special cloak. We know that. We also know that when they brought it back to their father, immediately he recognized it. But they tear this thing up and they soak it in goat's blood. And they come home and they tell their father, We stumbled across this thing. Is this Joseph's? He must have been attacked by a lion or some beast and destroyed. I'm surprised that Joseph, excuse me, that Jacob didn't see straight through their foolish plotting. But I'll say this the ability for parents and the ability for people to be ignorant about their own homes is overwhelming. The ability of parents to be ignorant about their children and how evil their children actually are is overwhelming. May we ask God to give us wisdom concerning those He's placed in our care. But Jacob didn't see through it. Jacob started to wail and to weep. It's ironic because when Jacob deceived his father it was by killing a goat. And placing the fur on his skin. Jacob, years later, would be deceived by his own children. By the blood of a goat. Preacher Calvin Ray Evans has an entire sermon on just this thought. But I want to share the thought with you this morning. That's not always as bad as it looks. In reality, it was just a bloody coat. Jacob thought his son was dead. Jacob thought his favorite son was gone forever. No funeral. No proper burial. No goodbye. He's gone. I'll never see him again. A terrifying thought for for one who had left as a young boy and never saw his mother again. But in reality, it was just a bloody coat. Can I tell you, sometimes Satan will bring a bloody coat and throw it at your feet and tell you it's all over. Your marriage is ruined. There's no chance for it. That person's never going to be saved. Too much harm has been done. You might as well pack it up and call it done and call it quits. Don't give up. God can do anything. If God can raise the dead back to life, there's not a situation in your life that God cannot take care of. But furthermore, He wasn't dead. It was just a bloody coat. The blood of a goat placed on a coat. Sounds like some kid downstairs is killing a goat. It's not as bad as it seems. God was in control at all times. His brothers feel like they've won. I'm going to close this morning with this thought. His brothers thought they had won. They had finally gotten rid of Joseph. Joseph is gone. He's sold into slavery as far as they believe. They'll never see him again. They've convinced his father that he's dead. No more will he be the favorites. And Genesis 37 ends with this verse. Now the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and captain of the guard. We see that God is moving Joseph strategically where God wants him to be. And that though the righteous may suffer in an evil and unjust world, ultimately God's purposes always prevail for His people. But at this stage in the story, I have to stop today. We'll pick right back up here next week on Sunday morning. Here's where Joseph is. God said, Joseph, and I'm paraphrasing, you're going to be something great. I have my hand on your life, Joseph. One of these days you will be elevated and your own family will surround you and be grateful to you And here we are. This supposed thing that's supposed to take place. His brothers first plotted to kill him and then decided to sell him into slavery. He's in a foreign land. He's around a people that he can't even speak their language yet. He's a slave. And his brothers are back home living it up. Now I want to ask you a question from a purely normal, the way our brains think, standpoint. Does it really look like God's being faithful to His promise? Does it really look like God's in control? Does it really look like something great is happening in Joseph's life? No, of course it doesn't. It looks like his brothers won. But the story doesn't end there. And I want to encourage you this morning to understand something, a very important principle about Christian living. Character is forged under conflict. The greatest place that God makes us into what He wants us to be is in the place of pressure and conflict and, yes, even confusion. When you are left with nothing but God has said. What will I do in that moment? What do you do when God doesn't do what you thought He was going to? Most people turn and leave. Most people, their attitude is, well, if it's going to be this way, then I'm not going to serve God at all. If this is the payment, God, for being faithful to you, then forget it. Is that your heart? Is that your attitude this morning? Can this preacher encourage you? Don't give up. Stop thinking that. That is the thoughts of the devil and that's exactly what he wants you to think. Our God is always faithful and He does know what He's doing and sometimes He has to take us through conflict and through tribulations so that when we come out on the other side we are stronger and victorious and we can say that our God has never left us or forsaken us. Trust, God has said. He will never leave you or forsake you, child of God. He knows what you're going through. He knows your pains. He knows your struggles. And today, our story today, it ends here. Joseph is a slave. His brothers have convinced his dad that he's dead. And it seems like all hope is gone. But it's not. All hope is not gone. As a matter of fact, God is actually strategically just moving Joseph where Joseph needs to be for the day when the dream actually comes to pass. And only God can do something that great. I'll ask our worship team to come this morning. And I want to say to you men of God here this morning, let us be men of integrity. Let us be men who are willing to stand in what is true, even when it seems like the world around us is contrary to us. I want to say again to you young people, it is time for the young people of this nation and of of this culture to stand up and be young people of integrity. You can do it. This morning I want to say to those of you who have not truly surrendered to God, what are you waiting on? What are you waiting on? The Bible tells us that God desires that all people be saved. That God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That means if you are here under the sound of my voice today, God desires for you to be saved. And the price is paid. Jesus Christ has taken all of your sins and placed them on His shoulders and paid for them in full. All that God asks is that you're willing to repent of your sins and follow Christ. That's what it means to put your faith in Him, to trust Him and to believe Him. Therefore, I obey Him and follow Him. This morning, if you haven't done that, you need to. You need to come and you need to kneel and you need to simply say, God, I acknowledge I am a sinner. Forgive me. And make a conscious commitment that is from the depths of your soul that from this day forward you're going to serve God. Whatever it looks like, wherever it takes you, you're going to serve Him. If you haven't done that this morning, I invite you to. Men of God, I pray that God would place within us courageous hearts to say it's time that we be men of integrity. We be leaders. I pray that when I shared that real study, one that took place in Georgia here in America, one that took place over in, near England, I pray that it pricked your heart when you realized how important the role the man is in the home. And I pray this morning God will help us just to strip our pride and to fall before Him and say, God, help us to be those men.